0: <laughs> Just give <doing> me a smile. <laughs> no, that's a prompt. Yeah. <laughs> you be... Okay. Who are we? Okay. Who yeah. We? On the top again. All right. Who are, who are we? Who are we? Who are we? We are Holy Spirit empowered servants like, like Jesus. You. We are. We are. We are the hospitable family of Jesus. We are. We are strategic missionaries for Jesus we are disciples devoted to jesus we are helping people find and follow jesus we are we are, we are city, are city gates. gates we are city gates oh my gosh, you <laughs> nailed it memory kicked in <laughs> we are uh, in the middle of a uh, series i don't know if we're in the middle actually i don't really know where we are at but We've done a few, and we will still do a few more. So um, it's called One, and uh, we've been journeying through the Old Testament, looking at one book each week. Uh, ultimately, not just giving you an overview of that book, but also helping you just see where that book fits into the grand narrative of Scripture, the grand story. Actually, the Bible, uh, even though it's written by you know, 40 or so authors over you know, 2,000 years, it actually is telling one big story, which is a miracle, it's amazing itself, and uh, for that very reason alone, I think worth investigating some more. And of course, you could see, this is the R-rated book in the Bible, and so, you know, all the preachers were like, no, I'm not that weak, uh, Vic, you can do it, um, which is fine. I mean, I have four children, so, you know, I'm an expert in sex, I've had it at least four times, so, um, but, uh, but anyway, um, speaking of that, uh, a little bit of background, you know, I remember reading this book. And my wife reading it to me, it's okay, if you're a child, yeah, it's not going to go south. Uh, I'm going to restrain <laughs> myself, you're safe. Parents, don't worry, you don't have to mail me on Monday. Um, but uh, I read this out to my wife on honeymoon, it was suggested to us, and she was reading it uh, out to me. Because actually, if you have read the Song of Psalms, it's pretty easy to read, it's eight chapters, you know, I've read it multiple times, even leading up to this week, it's very easy, it's actually quite enjoyable to read all in one sitting. But that's where my nickname, Lover, came from. If you've known us for a little while, although she doesn't say that often anymore, she calls me Lover often. Uh, My kids know that for sure. Maybe she just does it at home more, more often these days than not. But as you get older in your marriage you've developed new terms of endearment so it's not only the word lover but that's the one she got on you know our honeymoon she's like i like that one i'm going to use it on you and so there was a long season in our lives so that's just the norm i called her lover as well although i should have said beloved but we kind of just kind of borrowed that one lover lover to each other um and, uh, and as I said, we read this, uh, and this is so easy to read in one sitting, and it's important to do because actually if you do read it, you'll see that there's different people speaking. It's kind of like a play, although it's a collection of poems, and it might not be uh, you know, used on stage in that sense, uh, and, and even though you heard it's kind of disconnected in the, the bits that people have put together, there, is, there are a couple of characters, and you need to know who's saying what, and when are they saying it, and, and who are they saying it to. Um, so it is important to read it all the way through, just like it is you watch a movie, you know, um, or, or you go watch a play. You don't just dip in in the middle and then come back, you know, next week and watch the end and then watch the beginning. Uh, if it's a story that it tells, it's good to read it in one sitting. So that's your homework for this week. Um, and of course, this book is part of the canon of scripture. This is the series we're in, one book, one week telling one story. So yes, there is the grand narrative and we will get to that before we conclude today. We'll, we'll look at where this book fits in in the Grand story of Scripture, Um, but there's a couple of things just stare us in the face that we have to look at, and this is maybe where I'm going to I'm going to try filling some of the blanks uh, um, because the video did an outstanding job to give us an overview, right? And so I'm breaking it up into sort of four big points, and I'm going to stick with the D's, right? That's my that's my uh, uh, letter of choice today is D's for the alliteration, all right? So first up, uh, the thing that stares us in the face is the deep desires. And as you heard the words to know and to be known, love and intimacy, um, that's all over this book. The importance of it. And in particular, the place, not just for love, but for sexual desire. And emphasis on the place for sexual desire and love is one I want to highlight here. Chapter 8, as it says, it concludes. You know, I can just read that to you again. It's pretty simple. Um, uh, Verse 6 says, Set. Me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. In many ways that speaks, I think, a little bit of like a covenant, of a commitment. And it says, For love is as strong as death, jealousy as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Okay, so so it's saying here that sexual desire and passionate love is actually like a fire. And you heard fire can be used for good, but can also use, be used to destroy if it's not controlled. In fact, the wisdom of Proverbs often goes there when it warns uh, against adultery, you know, against letting sexual passions and desire overcome you so much that you would cheat or be promiscuous. Okay? Because it it's actually speaks about a kind of fire that, that, that if you cheat and if you commit adultery, Um, that it's like trying to hold it on your lap. It's like you will get burned, all right? That's not the place for a fire, all right? It's like you're not holding it close to your chest, all right? Where is the place for a fire? Well, you know, in modern day terms, I'd say it's in a fireplace or in a barbecue. It's like that's where it needs to be safe and contained. Because if it's in a fireplace... It can provide warmth. It can provide light. You know, if it's in a barbecue, you can cook with it. And so fire is wonderful. It's good. But it's not meant to be everywhere. It's meant to be in a fireplace, you know. And this, this culture that we live in tells us, no, sex is like a playground. Everybody can just go in and enjoy it. But the Bible says, no, sex is like fire. And sexual desire is like fire. It needs to find its proper home. And so first, few things I want to throw out to, you know, the potential crowd here. Number one is, some of you have a spark. Some of you have a flame. And you need a fireplace, okay? Maybe I'm speaking to those that are not married, all right? Like if there is sexual desire, the Bible actually celebrates that, saying that's a wonderful thing to have. But remember, it has its place, and that's within the context of marriage. And so although the spark and the flame is there... Wait for the fireplace. Okay, that's that's the first encouragement. The second one I want to throw out there is maybe some of you have started wildfires, and so in a sense you might have said, "No, fireplaces are for other people. I just want to like yeah, I just want to light the torch, or I just want to you know spark it up. I don't know what the word is here. Okay, help me out." <laughs> but but the encouragement is saying, "No, that's also not the way that God wants you to live." Remember, Proverbs is part of the wisdom literature. I mean, of course, Proverbs is the Song of Songs although it's poetry it actually is grouped as wisdom literature there's wisdom in what god is encouraging you to uh you know to, to how to govern your passions and desires i was listening to a jason mraz song uh while i was running uh, this week and um one of his songs uh is called um when you love someone i think it is and it's interesting he Great, great song. Talks about love and how strong it is. You know, really borrowing truths from the Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6, you know. Um, but one bit bothered me because he, he said there's, you know, more than just a partner or a lover. Like he's talking about his love. And I, and I just thought that's so sad. Sad that the term lover in our day is, is actually connect or disconnected from the covenantal commitment that the Bible speaks of. It's like you can be married and then have a lover. Like that's, so, that's not how the Bible paints the picture. Actually, the, the term lover is used in the context of cov- covenantal commitment, the passion that these two players in this play has for, for one another, the lover and the beloved. That's the context. They just have eyes for each other. It's not like you're a side gig. You're like a salad and, you know, I have a main course, but, you know, I'm going to have a bit of dessert on the side. No, no. And, and so we've, we've got we've to see what the Scriptures teaches us, and this book helps us to, to, to see that, see it in its place. It's interesting that actually, the um, the lady, which is the beloved, three times in this book, she uh, puts the brakes on her passion. Okay, so I mean, I'll 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 tell you where it is. You don't have to turn if you if you want to. But chapter two, and again, the video we watched, they said just before it gets racy, she like you know she the scene changes, and uh, and so chapter two, verse. Um, You know, verse, let's say, uh, verse 6. It says, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. And then all of a sudden, it's, oh, daughters of Jerusalem, I I adjure you that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. You know, there's a sense of like, oh, here we go. This is so awesome. I love him. Oh, I'm overwhelmed by him. (laughs) Ladies, hang ten. You know, don't, 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 uh, don't go too far. Okay? This is a fire burning, like, until it pleases. That's chapter 2. Then you fast forward on a little bit to uh, chapter... Uh, where is this, chapter 8, you know, same thing happens, Um, the same uh, verse, uh, verse 3 says, his left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me, there's like, it's, the stuff's about to go down, and then, and then she says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases, and then scholars believe there is a moment in verse 5, which is, under the apple tree, I awakened you, like they talk about a consummation, probably where marriage took place. Again, it's not easy to take this book and say, this is where they got engaged, and this is where they got married. Like, there's even a moment in the middle where she's dreaming, and then she wakes up, and so, okay, you think it's reality, and then you realize, oh, she was just dreaming. You know? So, so but, but there was a moment where love needed to be awakened. And the Bible says, it's the fireplace. That's, that's where it is, you know, within, within marriage. Okay, so um, let me talk uh, maybe to... Uh, some of our, our unmarried people here, because the question of celibacy, I'm sure, is floating around in some people's heads, you know, and, um, and many people think it's not relevant. Now, when I took my sabbatical, I spent a couple of nights in a monastery where there were monks, and as you know, celibacy and monkery, they, um, <laughs> they, they, go, they go together, you know, Um The vow of celibacy is very real to those that have decided to devote their lives to the Lord in such a way. And so I picked up some of the material there um, that they had in the rooms, you know, for ministers like me uh, who spend a few nights there on their premises. Um, And I I found it very helpful as I was reading through that they actually wrestled with You know, whether celibacy is relevant in our day in the 21st century, because there's obviously a lot of objection to it, certainly in the promiscuous culture that we find ourselves in here in the West. And um, they wrote this interesting little pamphlet, you know, not to convince people, you know, come with us, but to help them discern and to see actually that there is often a call of celibacy on someone. That means for your whole life, you've chosen that you would not pursue your sexual desires to its fullest extent but that, uh, that you choose to you know, serve the Lord. I would say for those that are unmarried and wants to be married, that God gives you a special grace until the time, that there's a sense of like He, he helps you with that celibate season. Um, and, uh, and I found these questions they, they give to people very helpful. Um, let me read you a couple of them. Uh, this is what uh, this is what the celibacy quiz looked like. So maybe you can take it. You know, maybe you go home. You say, "This was so helpful. I, I passed the quiz." Um, <laughs> stuff like um, I have close friends, and some of my friends are my peers. If you can say yes to that, you're on, you're on track. Uh, I have a life. In other words, you're single, but you have a life. Uh, I can enjoy time alone. Like I'm okay with that. I can set limits. I I can live within boundaries. I have a personal relationship with Jesus and I can spend time with Him in prayer, okay? I can say no. These are very practical things. I'm willing to love those that no one else will. Why? Because I've got time. I've got resources. I've got heart space. Um, I don't need to satisfy my own needs immediately. That delayed gratification, I roll with that. I'm good with that. I can... um, My social circle is a mix of men and women. My prayer life supports my struggle to be chaste. In other words, like, yeah it's not saying it's not a struggle but actually my prayer life supports me in that Uh, i know how to be intimate without having to be sexually active it's a great one i've made and i've kept commitments in my life you know that's a that's a good one just in general keeping your commitments in life (laughs) i can be honest down to earth realistic i mean the list goes on i don't have to um i don't have to read them all uh, but one of the last one is like I'm comfortable with my own body and my own emotions. You know, there's, there's not like this overly this codependency. Those are all things where you know maybe you've always wondered. You know, is this something that the Lord wants for me? I thought that was a very practical list. Well, what I love about that list, okay, is that um, first of all it says that in your in your times of not being engaged for lack of a better word or committed to someone that there's some spare time in you. Of course not just to focus on Jesus, because you, you, know, you, you don't have the responsibilities of a, of a spouse or a family, but also to serve others. And, and it's, it's the same with the, the vow of poverty. You know, It's saying I'm, I can live with less so that I can give more away. It's the same with celibacy. It's like actually I, there's all this love that I can give to the Lord, but also to others. I've got time and, and emotional space to serve them. And the last one actually, which I love, is that they say f- uh, physiologically healthy and celibate, People so psychologically. I, I wrote physiologically, and I didn't know why. Psychologically, <laughs> created myself. Uh, healthy, celibate people in warm relationships, meaningful relationships, tells an amazing story. It actually tells us what we believe—that actually sexuality is not the center of you. That's what this culture is saying: that you are defined by your sexual desires. But actually, if you can have healthy. Warm, strong, good relationships will be psychologically healthy. You are telling an amazing story about who Jesus is, who God is. Because listen, Jesus Himself, no sex, no spouse, He was fine. You know, He showed us, He modeled it in that sense. You know, so again, although the Song of Songs is about sexual desire and passion, I wanted to just stop and just talk to the unmarried in our community as well. Saying, man, there's some wonderful things to learn in the season that you find yourself. Maybe it's a long season. I'll give you the questionnaire if you need it. But for until things change, I mean, there's a beautiful story you can tell. To be secure in the Lord. to use some of your space that you have in your life to serve and love other people. And to show the world that actually you're not the sum total of your sexual desires. It's wonderful, isn't it? I'm spending way too much time on this point, but I'm moving on. All right, so... Uh, That was B, you know, don't start wildfires. Number C was some of you, some of you, number C, you like that one. (laughs) Some of you have a fireplace, but the fire is out. And you need to get the spark going as well. Some have a fire and no fireplace, but there are some people with fireplaces and no fire. And that's also a problem. The Bible celebrates and encourages for that fire to burn in marriage. And as I said, it's part of wisdom literature because actually, if that's the case, the wisdom of the scriptures and wisdom of Solomon is saying to us, ultimate uh, flourishing for humanity and society actually depends on that thing being in place. That actually, that there's fires in fireplaces. Actually, that is good. That is how God sees There's the good for society and for, hu- for humanity. And uh, so to love and to be loved and to know and to be known, these are desires that we have and uh, sexual desire and the fulfillment of that within the context of lifelong marriage, these are good things. This is what the, the Bible is saying. You need that, and, um, and society needs that. So that's number one, deep desires. Number two is descriptive language, what I, what I think is all over this book, or, or loving words. And I think that's one of the ways, by the way, if you have a fireplace and you need some fire, that is one of the ways that you can keep the fire burning, is using your mouth, how you speak to your spouse. This is obviously a work of poetry. So yes, wisdom literature, but work of poetry, a collection of poems. And in poems, metaphorical language is always heightened. Okay, That's how poems work. Like they go overboard with metaphors. But we all understand how metaphors work. That's why you can understand it when someone says, Oh, I, I received a warm hug. Oh, they gave me a cold shoulder. What are you doing? You're using metaphors. You're using that picture language. We can take the intangible realities of affection and love, and you... Wrapping it around something tangible like the cold, brutally cold wind here in Canada uh, or, or, or the, the, you know, humidity and the heat in the middle of summer. You know what a warm hug and what a cold shoulder looks like. And so, you know, I think it's encouraging us to use some of that language. Just as you saw in the video, don't use everything that the writer here is saying on your particular spouse. Some of it is really weird. Um <laughs> Uh, I mean, chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. Chapter 5, verse 10 to 15. Chapter 6, verse 4 to 7. Those are all areas I wouldn't go to. One funny one. I'll just read you uh, 6, verse 6. This is, this is quite hilarious. It says this uh, as a compliment. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. No one, not one among them has lost its young. You know, and it's basically saying you have white symmetrical teeth, you know, They all that tw- and, and there are clearly not, none of them are lost, you know, none of them have lost its young, you know, that's, there's a, there's a better way to say I love your smile, I promise you there is a better way to say that, but tell her you love her smile, or tell him you love his smile too, um, the point of this, they want us to think about the metaphors, I explained to you what it means, it means straight symmetrical teeth, none of them are missing, and, and I want you, to, I want you to, to, to think about it, like they are basically saying you are the best. Like when 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 he says you are like one of the, the, the horses in Pharaoh's stables, you know, it's not an insult. It's saying, of course, Pharaoh has got the best horses in the land. You, baby, are the best horse. What's the what's a female horse called? A mare. Oh, mare, mare. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what's happening. Okay. So I want to encourage you, and you know you can ask my kids. I. I, I, I look at my baby, and I love my wife's feet. I, honestly, I can make you proper uncomfortable now. I'm getting, I'm, you know, I, love, I, I love my wife's feet. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Baby, here's one for you. Eh? Here's one for you. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. The point I'm trying to make is that I tell her. I tell her I love her hair. She's like, Oh, my hair's gray. I'm like, Your hair is amazing. I love it. I love her cheekbones. I tell her, I kiss her cheekbones. I, I, what I'm saying to her is I notice you. And then what I do is I put a notice up as I make it verbal. I just notice her and keep it to myself. I make it public. I put my children to shame every day. day. They're Like, Dad, please, <laughs> enough, guys, go get a room. Like, but I think that, that it's encouraging us to be vocal about your love uh, to your loved one. And you might say, I don't know what to say, and I think that there are other verses here you can at least start with, okay? Not the teeth one, but you can find other ones. Right, so number three is, uh, which I call, uh, divi- oh, actually, I left one out. My bad. So that's actually um, number four. So just blacken that screen. I'll give you number three. Number three is uh, details, distractions, and decisions. And, um, in chapter 2, verse 15, when they tell their love to, to one another, this is what they say, uh, which uh, is quite interesting. You know, verse 14 says, Oh, my dove, you know, in the cliffs of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us the little foxes that spoil the vineyards for our vineyards are in blossom. It's saying we've got a good thing going here. Let us not let the foxes not mess it up, all right? And there's obviously a metaphor. The Marriage is like a vineyard. It's like a flourishing garden. And the little foxes, I'm not going to get into what it might mean, but you can make, maybe they nibble on the things. I don't know. Some people say, oh, they used to tie foxes' tails together and lit them on fire and sent them through the vineyards. I don't know if there's historical backing for it, but it sounds like little foxes are bad for vineyards, okay? So, the details in your marriage, the details in your relationship, the decisions you make, the distractions that you allow in, those are little foxes. And and the, the video already told you about the desire that each two ha- have for each other and that they keep looking for each other. Why? Because they want to be with each other. It's not like, hey, boys night. Woo! Hey, girls night. I'm free. It's like, no, where is my baby? Where's my, where's my guy? I want to be with him. Like, have you seen him? That's how the, That's how this this play goes have you seen him walking around I'm, I miss I need him have you seen her I need her and so there is this intentionality there they, they, they want to be with each other and it goes beyond sexual desire because actually in chapter 5 verse 16 this is what is said his mouth is so sweet and he's altogether desirable that's chapter 16 of uh, verse 5 so you might think, oh yeah, that's, that's sexual desire. No, but then it's like, this is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. So it goes beyond just like, ooh, you're so hot, I need you, I want you, to you're my companion. You're my friend. We are friends. I wanna be with you. If I could choose to hang out with friends, you'd be on top of the list. That would be my best night out, would be my best night in with you. And I, I can honestly say to you, friends, that's how I feel about my wife. But we have fought for that. We've had to be intentional to not let little distractions and little decisions and little details, little foxes come in and just have its way in our vineyard, in our garden. So catch them, be intentional. It's the small omissions, don't work on your friendship where you allow the busyness of life to creep in. Those tiny foxes will ruin your vineyard. Okay, so that's the third thing that I think jumps out. The fourth one, it was on screen. It's just a quick one, but there are some divine differences we see here as well. If you read this book cover to cover, chapter to chapter, you will see that there are some differences between the talking of the guy and the talking of the girl. Now, I don't want to play into any unhelpful stereotypes that our culture puts on. You know, men are like this and women are like that. Okay, I'm not doing that. I'm not getting into a fight with anybody here. But there are some serious differences that comes out in this book. Okay, okay. And society might seem like, well, it is celebrating diversity and you could be any and everybody and any version of anybody you want to be. But actually, I think it's flattening out. It's not actually celebrating the differences because society is saying the differences between men and women don't really count anymore. They don't mean anything. And so also it might seem like it's diversity. I think it's flattening it out. And so, so even in this passage, we are seeing this, the differences. You know, She is the dominant voice, as you saw in the, in the video beforehand. Most of the talking is happening by the lady because they got lots of words, they got to get it out, okay? Not every lady, but generally speaking. It's my experience at least. <laughs> and so it is uh, for the writers here. Um, she's the one who tells others. There's this interesting group of people that you find often interjecting in between the dialogue between the guy and the girl. And it's often because the girl's talking to them. There's this crowd of people. Like there's this, the guy though, he is spoke, speaking mostly to her. He's short, sharp, and to the point. All right, he gets to the point, laser focused just on the lady. Like, I just thought that was fascinating as I was reading through it, the difference between the male voice and the female voice. And I think that there's a beautiful thing that when in marriages, you can celebrate each other's differences the way God has made you. We call it here at City Gates complementarianism. You're actually paying a compliment to the other person saying, you can do what I can't do. You can love. You can say. You can care. You can, you can lift. You can, you, you can cry. You, there's things you d- do that I can't do. I need you. That's complementarianism. It's actually paying a compliment to the other person. And then the last one, okay, and this is the best I could come up with, is uh, the drop-off mic. <laughs> it's the best D I could find. I'm sorry. Really, this is really just about the main point. This is the bigger idea. This is like, well, okay, we get that this book is about passionate love between two people and the context is marriage. But actually, how does this fit into the big story, the grand narrative of the Bible? Um, And we saw there, ancient Jews, they saw this as a metaphor between God and, and his chosen Israel. Christianity has developed that idea a little further. We've said, well, you know, if Jesus is the bridegroom, then we're the bride. And so this book fits nicely into maybe a metaphor for how God passionately loves us and how we should love Him in return. And I I would agree with that one too. And then we, we heard too that there's some modern scholars who just say, well, you know, it's kind of a bit of an all over the show book. You know, lots of literature like that was out there at the time so let's just call it what it is it's just a collection of love poems and i'm fine with that too because i showed you now there's still a couple of good lessons in these love poems that are found in the scriptures but then i also want to stop a bit and i I just this is just me like as i was pondering about some of the things that were in this passage you know this guy and this girl they're shepherds she's a shepherdess and he's a shepherd. That's how, that's how this book describes them. That's why it's also you know, difficult to sort of find a place for Solomon in, in, in this particular story as well. Like I said, he shows up in chapter 8. It's just quite a weird little thing. I like the way they make sense of it, but I read it first, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. So I had to lean on, on commentators. But shepherd is shepherd. And I just think of Jesus. He called himself the good shepherd, the great shepherd, right? And so there's, uh, there's tones of that. So one who cares for his flock. These 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 people—they're in that world, you know—and so like it makes me turn up my ear. Um, Jesus is the ultimate friend. Where it says here in chapter five, you know, this is my beloved, and this is my friend. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is the ultimate friend that you and I can have. Jesus is the friend that, as we talked about celibacy and how do you get through it, actually understanding that there's friendship with the Lord. It doesn't loneliness doesn't probably doesn't exist in Christianity if there is a genuine, authentic, real, and healthy relationship with the Lord. That was one of the encouragements when I was on sabbatical, was saying, push through the pain of loneliness, because I'm an extrovert, I love people, because on the other side of loneliness, I will find friendship and communion with Jesus. I was so thankful for those three months in time that I could explore that, because otherwise I use people as a crutch. I get from friends what I should actually get from Jesus. And so here I think, if this beloved is a friend, I know we have an ultimate friend in the Lord. I've already talked about a bridegroom. That's the New Testament language for Jesus. And we, the church, is his bride. And that's guys included. We're a bri- and so, of course, here's this bridegroom, betrothed to this bride, you know, that, that makes sense to me. And that means the words that they say to one another, you can actually hear the voice of the Lord in them. Let me read some for you. Chapter 4, verses 7. And nine, this could be the Lord saying this to you. And guys, I want you to listen because you're the bride too, okay? Yes, the the ladies have to like cope with the fact that they are sons in the house because they sons inherited in in those times. I want you as guys to be very comfortable the fact that you are a bride that will be marrying Jesus, the bridegroom. And so listen to these words, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Listen to verse uh, verse 9. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. And this is where the gospel kicks in, my friends, because if if you know the deep, dark corners of your heart, you think, how could God say, you're beautiful, my love, my love, and there's no flaw in you? How can, he, how can he be captivated by me as his bride with one glance? Because I know the mistakes I've made, the sins I've committed. And this is where we know that Jesus, the true flawless one, died in our place to make us and to turn us into flawless ones. He, he, he basically died as if he's a dirty, as, he, as if his white dress was marred. So that you and I can wear the righteousness of Jesus. He, he, he turns us into the worthy brides. Isn't that amazing? And therefore, He desires us, He seeks us. And listen, He doesn't just desire us after He saved us. He came for us when we were sinners and rebels and dirty. So His desire for us precedes the righteousness that we received. It's not like, oh, finally, thanks, Jesus. I can finally look at these, these kids. The father is saying, no, there's a desire and a love for you and me in spite of our brokenness that he came for. And that's the other thing. They are looking for each other, aren't they? Hey, where's my lover? Where's my beloved? That's how it's all over this thing, all over this book. And we know this is what God did with us. He seeks us out. He comes to find us because we're not looking for him. No, he came finding us, saving us. I, 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 that's how I made the connections in this book. And ultimately, of course, our desire for enjoyment of this intense love and affection, the fact that we want partners, we want want that deep, meaningful connection, we want to be known, and we want to know, it, it points to our ultimate longing that only Jesus can satisfy. Because I tell you now, as good as my spouse is, and I've got a great one, she cannot fulfill in me what God is supposed to give me. She cannot be God to me. She can't be Jesus to me. That I must get from the Lord himself. And then finally, if that's the case, well, then Jesus can help you in your current relationship. He can help you in a season where there isn't someone like that in your life. Even though you may have that desire, he can be for you what you might want others to be for you in that season, however long it is. And if you're in a relationship, he can help you. He can help you be the spouse that you ought to be. Because as you saw here, this is an echo Of what that garden couple looked like in the beginning, before the fall. The way they relate to each other. Jesus is able to take married couples, people in covenant with one another, back to that moment. He's able to restore their relationship, that there's echoes of that garden couple in your marriage. Doesn't it give you hope? It certainly gives me hope. To be selfless, loving, committed, committed, all of those good things. Jesus is able to do that for you right let's close our eyes just for a moment I think that this desire this, this passion that this book speaks about this desire for intimacy and love it, it is a transcendent I think that's the word or it's, it's just all human beings are touched by this like unless you're a robot you know uh, it's pretty much relevant to you If you have a pulse, I think you can (laughs) you can relate to this, right? And so I I believe the Lord wants to meet with everybody in this little moment here. Maybe you're young and you're single, you find yourself in a context where how you know how the Lord wants you to live and it's not easy because you're surrounded by people who take their cues from culture and the Lord is here to strengthen you. Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe you've 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 we're, we're in relationships, and actually you've experienced the the full effects of sin and and the, and the fall of man in that relationship. Maybe maybe it, it was abuse or it was uh, breaking of trust or and, and, and you know you might you you might keep that love and desire and that passion that the Lord that the Bible celebrates. You might keep that out of your heart and maybe feel yourself quite dry and confused or it could be a myriad of emotions but maybe you've, you've been a victim in that sense you know. maybe, maybe you're still waiting you, you feel like you have this longing and ha- hasn't happened for you yet and you might have given up on God's goodness as a result of that I feel like the Lord wants to meet with you too and perhaps you are married and you go well I have a fireplace but man fire is, is out I feel like the Lord can ignite that and help you in your marriage. So Lord, there's, there's, there's so many people here. I even think of our youngest kids who might listen to this in this moment and go, oh, that's for grown-ups." I don't feel like that. I, but there might come a time and, and maybe when they start to feel uh, you know, a, a bit of that, uh, that stage of life bubbling to the surface, I, I pray that they by your grace would remember some of these words remember your word and go and be governed by you as they enter into that stage and would you help parents to lead their children along these paths as well to speak openly and honestly about the things that your word celebrates your will and your ways and so there's just there's just so many intersections Lord and, and Holy Spirit you know where everyone's at I'm going to stop talking now you, you're speaking to people just for a few moments if people need to repent maybe maybe they've taken that fire and they've used it outside of the context of a fireplace and started some wildfires in their own hearts in their own lives and in the lives of others maybe some promiscuity that needs to be repented of you're here to forgive to set straight to make right that's how good and merciful and gracious you are you will not leave them in that place but take them further in you Come, Holy Spirit. Speak to each and every one of us now. The lover of our souls, that's you. Come and find us again. If we're hiding from you in shame. Draw us out. Cover us with your grace and your mercy and your righteousness. Come, Holy Spirit. Maybe there's things that people do in secret. No one knows. But you do. There's a moment now. To deal with it. my wife encouraged us to you know, stare into each other's eyes and point each other to Jesus. And maybe some of the conversations afterwards, this might include the subject. But God is so good. He's inviting you. If, if something is kept in the dark, maybe this is an area you don't talk to anybody about or anything. You know, the Bible tells us that there's grace now for you to, br- when you bring things into the light in a loving community, a gracious community, where no one points fingers, but people offer hands and support and help it gets dealt with because there's going to come a day when actually the, the dark things are going to get dragged into the light and actually he's saying no, that, that, won't, be, that won't be a, a, a wonderful moment <laughs> but because if you keep things in the dark it keeps its hold on you it keeps its hold on you so instead of the Lord dragging it into the light you bring it in and there's, he- there's healing there's healing in that so I want to encourage you in that Jesus, you're so good. Thank you for this book. It's weird as it is. Did us good. Amen.